I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare anyone? Hi listeners, it's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name and, as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, this is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Welcome to another Shakespeare Anyone mini-episode. In these mini-episodes, 
we'll be exploring topics that are related to Shakespeare but aren't necessarily connected to whatever play we've been discussing. And they're many because, well, they're shorter than our other episodes. They're like quartos if the regular episodes are folio editions. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the most famous editions of Shakespeare's work, the quartos, both good and bad, and the first folio of 1623. The reason the modern world is able to read, see, and dissect the works of William Shakespeare and his contemporaries is because of early modern publishing. Plays were published in two formats, the quarto or the folio. Quarto refers to the format and size of a book that results from printing four pages on each side of a sheet of paper, front and back. Once printed, the page gets folded twice, each time along the long side. Simply put, the eight pages are a result of printing on and folding one larger page. A quarto was a conventional format for small publications, including newspapers and pamphlets. A printed work that requires more than one quarto is a quarto playbook. Folio refers to a large book made by folding printed sheets of paper in half just once, with each sheet forming four pages. A folio is larger, sturdier, and more expensive than a quarto. Bill Bryson writes that the first folio of 1623 was very ambitiously priced at one pound. A copy of Sonnets, by comparison, cost just five pence. Folios were reserved for history, religion, or other weighty subjects. About half of Shakespeare's plays were published in quarto form before the publication of the first folio in 1623, meaning the first folio included a whopping 36 plays, 18 of which have never before been published. If you're having trouble visualizing the folding of a folio or quarto, take a moment and grab an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, like from your printer. While the pieces of paper that printers used in Shakespeare's time were much larger, let's just use what is most likely on hand. Now, set your paper so that one of the long sides is closest to you. Bring the short side on the left to meet the right, folding the paper in half. Place the folded piece of paper so that the crease you created is on the left, and you can see how a four-page folio would work. In front of you is page one, Open and find pages 2 and 3, and the back is page 4. To create a quarto, set your folded paper so that the crease is on your left, then fold the top short edge to the bottom, creating a new crease. Set the crease you just made to your left, and you've created a quarto. If you do not have paper, or would prefer to watch or read instructions, head over to time code 2 minutes and 42 seconds in Dr. Cat's Reading the Past episode called Dr. Cat and Bad Quartos on YouTube. She also folds an octavo, a 16mo, a 32mo, and a 64mo. But those typesettings are unrelated to Shakespeare and we will not discuss them. You can also practice folding a quarto on Folger Shakespeare Library's DIY Quarto page. In addition, you can watch a video demonstrating early modern printing on Folger's Printing the First Folio page. We will put the links to these resources in our episode description. While plays were published during Shakespeare's lifetime, the number of his plays published prior to the first folio adds up to only about half. This may seem odd to modern dramatists who are used to publishing their plays through publishing companies such as Concord Theatricals or Dramatist Play Service, Inc., so that theater companies can buy the rights to perform their plays or read their plays. But 
early modern playwrights were not concerned with publishing their plays as a form of literature. Plays were intended to be performed and heard upon a stage by actors. In addition, final manuscripts were sometimes kept unpublished so that only that theater company could perform that play. Dr. Emma Smith, professor of Shakespeare studies at Oxford, estimates that we have probably only about one-fifth of the plays that were written and performed in Shakespeare's time. Because plays were not commonly published during this era, those unpublished copies of plays were written down in two ways. Number one, cue scripts, and number two, the acting company's one prompt book. A cue script was composed of multiple sheets of paper pasted together and held in place with wooden dowels, then rolled up into a scroll. Fun fact, that's where the word roll to describe an actor's part came from. As stated in our intro series, cue scripts contained the player's cue line and their own lines. A prompt book is an annotated copy of a play for the use of a prompter during a performance. Prior to the first folio of 1623, all of Shakespeare's plays were published as quartos. Quartos are controversial because some of them are considered good and some bad. The notion of a bad quarto was coined by A.W. Pollard in 1909. He believed these publications were produced without referring to an authorial manuscript. Bad quartos are likely the result of pirate editions written down by an audience member who tried their best to remember and write down what they saw on stage. This type of quarto could account for missing scenes and texts. I mean, could you adequately recount line by line a play you've just seen? And publishers got away with this because copyright and intellectual property rights would not become law for many years. But the idea of all quartos being bad is highly contested. Many argue that what Pollard classifies as bad may, in some cases, simply be an authorized new publication of a play following revisions by the theater company. I mean, at least 21 of Shakespeare's plays were published as a quarto before the first folio. Omissions, additions, and alterations to the text or editorial changes may account for new quartos. Some, like Dr. Cat, are uncomfortable with the term bad as it offers a negative value. If you are interested in the bad quartos, those include the Romeo and Juliet first quarto of 1597, the Henry V first quarto of 1600, the Merry Wives of Windsor first quarto of 1602, the Hamlet first quarto of 1603, and the Pericles first quarto of 1609. Now, what about this first folio of 1623 you've been hearing so much about? In addition to teaching, Dr. Smith is also the author of the book, The Making of the First Folio. Through Smith's extensive work, she offers the first comprehensive biography of the earliest collected edition of Shakespeare's plays. When analyzing this momentous endeavor, Dr. Smith credits the unification of two groups, the publishers Isaac Jaggard and Edward Blount, and the two Kingsman actors, John Hemmings and Henry Condell. Hemmings and Condell were the last of the original Chamberlain's men. Hemmings was the company's business manager and sometimes actor who, according to tradition, is said to be the first Falstaff. He listed himself as a, quote, citizen and grocer of London, unquote. Condell was an actor esteemed for his comedic roles. He also invested wisely and was sufficiently wealthy enough to style himself a, quote unquote, gentleman. And the connection between the two publishers and the two Kingsman actors 
can possibly be linked to the Jaggard Print Shop's experience publishing playbills for the theaters to advertise theatrical performances. Their print shop was also an official publisher for the City of London, contracted to publish official proclamations for the city. But without a full and final manuscript, Hemmings and Condell had a task ahead of them. They had to rely on their work as actors to compile the folio. Through their performance memory, cue scripts, quartos, and possibly Shakespeare's foul papers or working drafts, they pieced it together. Author Bill Bryson guesses that these two must have been influenced by the example of contemporary playwright Ben Jonson, who issued a folio of his own work in 1616. And Dr. Smith theorizes that this great big expensive book was a commercial risk. The folio was published seven years after Shakespeare's death while his reputation was in flux. It was post-mourning and nostalgia and pre-canonization of Shakespeare. These men were creating a marketplace for Shakespeare, not filling it. But this collected work was no small feat. Getting the rights to publish some of these plays was challenging. In fact, Troilus and Cressida almost didn't get published because of rights surrounding its 1609 publication. The Stationers Company, a professional group of publishers, regulated their own affairs. So, the publisher Blount had to get the rights from this group. And, side note, what this means is that William Shakespeare did not own his own plays. He was a writer for hire who would write a play which would then become the property of the theater company, and the theater company would use and license it as they wished. Fun fact, the labor-intensive process behind the publication of the first folio has been dramatized in a play of its own, The Book of Will by Lauren Gunderson, which had its world premiere in 2017 at the Denver Center Theater and was the recipient of an Edgerton Foundation New Play Award. The first folio of 1623 was published as the definitive collected works of William Shakespeare. Hennings and Condell said so in a letter they wrote at the beginning of the folio. According to this letter, Previously published plays, like Quartos, were, quote, surreptitious and stolen copies, unquote, and the plays were now printed, quote, perfect of their limbs, unquote. Funny enough, the Jaggard Publishing print shop was responsible for printing some earlier quartos of Shakespeare plays, the ones that the folio deemed surreptitious. While we don't know how many prints were in the first run of the first folio of 1623, it is safe to estimate the run at around 700 to 750 prints. This was a huge technical endeavor that took a 12-month period, from late 1622 to late 1623. Dr. Smith imagines the publishers were working in a chaotic workshop with papers everywhere. She also explains that some of the copies show the mark of human beings through dirty fingerprints, printer's finger marks, or hair caught between the type and press. And those aren't the only errors in the printed run of the first folio. The printing process was time-intensive and laborious, with an extraordinary amount of room for error. A skewed type, cramped pages, letters turned the wrong way up, handwriting misread when transcribing. All these errors are visible in surviving editions. But while human errors were made, the publishers were also quite intelligent, reassessing how they can lose extraneous material on the page. Decision-making was crucial in this process. And these 700 or so individual copies all had varying discrepancies that have led scholars and even collectors of the first folios, most notably the Folgers, to attempt to read between each folio to search for the quote-unquote true text of Shakespeare. 
While finding the true text seems impossible to accomplish, editor Charlton Hinman used the collection of folios made accessible to him to investigate the publisher's proofreading and printing process. He analyzed how different individuals put the book together. With all of this variety, how do editors and theater makers choose which edition of Shakespeare's play to publish or perform? And in addition, what effect does that have on readers and audiences? Is there really an authentic Shakespeare? We've already discussed in our King Lear Stuff to Chew on episode how King Lear's first quarto of 1608 and the first folio of 1623 are, for all intents and purposes, entirely different plays. G. Blakemore Evans cites three different editions of the play, all containing a line that is consistently inconsistent. My fool usurps my body, my foot usurps my body, and my foot usurps my head. Even though all three of these lines come from a published edition of Lear, it only makes sense as, a fool usurps my bed. You can see how word choice changes the line's meaning entirely. Word choice also affects Othello's first quarto in 1622 and the first folio of 1623. There is a one-word change in a line from Othello's final speech in Act 5, Scene 2 that has prompted debate between scholars and editors. The quarto reads, Like the base Indian threw a pearl away richer than all his tribe. The folio, however, reads, Like the base Judean threw a pearl away richer than all his tribe. The inconsistency may be due to misreading handwriting, but Indian and Judean are not the same. Now let's talk about perhaps the most infamous instance of inconsistent publications in Shakespeare's canon, Hamlet. There were three publications of Hamlet in the 17th century. The first, or bad quarto, of 1603, the second, or good quarto, of 1604, and the first folio of 1623. Now, most scholars and editors agree that if you don't want to qualify the first quarto as bad, the first quarto is, at the very least, the most markedly different from the other two publications. This version is little more than half as long as the others. Some of the characters have different names. For example, Polonius is called Carambus, and a servant, Reynaldo, appears as Montano. The action of the play also varies considerably. Most scholars have found many passages in this version extremely difficult to read and have concluded that it is so full of errors that it is generally unreliable as a witness to what was written for the stage. And even though the second quarto and first folio are more alike than either are to the first quarto, they are still quite different from each other. The folio play has some 85 or so lines not found in the second quarto, but the folio lacks about 200 of the second quarto's lines. These two versions also differ from each other in their readings of hundreds of words. For editors, it is impossible in any edition to combine the whole of these two forms of the play because they often provide alternative readings that are mutually exclusive. Like King Lear, editors must choose whether to be guided by the quarto, by the folio, or leave them separated. Just for giggles, we'll share how extreme the differences in a quarto or a folio can be on the play. In Hamlet's To Be or Not To Be speech, the first folio is like everyone recognizes from high school English class. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing end them. To die, to sleep, no more. 
Now that we've refreshed your memory, let's look at this bad first quarto. The first quarto begins like the first folio, but somewhere along the way from the stage to the publishers, something went wrong. Rumor has it, the first quarto printed a manuscript put together from memory by a small part actor who had a role in the play when it was performed outside London. And no offense to this quarto, but that certainly could be plausible when you read the beginning of the To Be or Not To Be speech here. To be or not to be. Aye, there's the point. To die, to sleep. Is that all? Aye, all. But in all fairness to the quartos, the folio, Hemings and Condal's true collected works, is not perfect itself. Let's stick with Hamlet. Some scholars have reasons to believe that the bad first quarto may actually most closely represent the play as performed. Moreover, Anne Thompson at King's College in London points out the bad quarto places Hamlet's famous soliloquy in a different, better place, where suicidal musing seems more apt and rational. And if we look at Much Ado About Nothing, there are lines for Dogberry and Verges that abruptly cease being prefixed by the character's name and instead become prefixed Will and Richard, the names of the actors who took the parts in the original production. So between the folio, quarto, or some edition in between, it's hard to discover the authentic Shakespeare. Dr. Cat argues that the only authentic final manuscript of any of Shakespeare's plays, agreed upon by his playing company and Shakespeare himself, probably only exists in performances on the Elizabethan or Jacobean stage. And that's the quarto and folio. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone? Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash ShakespeareAnyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, ShakespeareAnyone.com, follow us on Instagram at ShakespeareAnyonePod, or Twitter at ShakespeareAnyone. For Twitter, that's ShakespeareAny and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From As You Like It, Act 4, Scene 3, said by Rosalind. But for the bloody napkin...